Paul is uh, dealing with his critics, that he's a false apostle because of his weakness, his inability, the things that he suffered. And last week he, he ends as he talks kind of ironically and sarcastically. They're boasting about their achievements and criticizing him for being boring and ineffective and, and suffering. Uh, he ends his statement last week by uh, recounting the story of where he's let down out of the uh, city of Damascus in a fish basket. And so uh, uh, he begins chapter 12 by saying that he's going to go on boasting. That's what his critics are doing. And so kind of ironically and sarcastically, he's going to do that uh, in this text as well. So um, we're, uh, we're going to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 10. A familiar passage uh, to, to some of us, which makes it all the more dangerous. Um, and so... Uh, We need the Spirit of God to take what's in here today and apply it uh, to our hearts. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. This is the Word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. By the way, if you're looking for just a little pithy thing to carry around with you this week as you think about your life um, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. That would be a good one to meditate on, just, you know, to file away to think about a little bit as you go about your week. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. So uh, this is one of those dangerous texts because uh, you're familiar with it and you're so familiar with it. There's probably some lines off of this uh, scripture that would show up on bumper stickers. Those are always dangerous verses, right? Like, uh, for when I'm uh, weak, I'm strong, right? That sounds like a good one. You put that on a bumper sticker, right? Um, or my powers made perfect in weakness, right? That's another one. That sounds good. That sounds like a kind of quick, pithy little thing we could put on our car and let everybody know a little bit about us. Uh, and um, how about uh, I am content with weaknesses? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm, I'm not inclined to put that one uh, on my car, right? So... As you as you think about this, you know the the thing that we we have a hard time thinking about how this works because um, when it comes to issues of weakness and strength, 
the way we tend to think about it is, yeah, 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 that's really true. Uh, there are certain things about me that I can see that, that God works through me and in me. And so, yeah, I can embrace this. But the problem with that is you're misunderstanding. I misunderstand. We all misunderstand the way this works because these weaknesses that Paul's talking about here are unmanageable. Let me say that again. The weaknesses that he's talking about here are unmanageable. You are not in control of them. They are bigger than you. They're more powerful than you. Uh, You cannot control them. You cannot manage them. They are out of your control. And so to come at this in some sort of way to think, oh, yeah, you know, I'm embracing my weakness. And because you think you know what that weakness is and that you can kind of hold on to it or do something with it. The fact is what Paul lists here is the things that uh, make up his weakness uh, are things that are completely out of his control. And so so we think if I can demonstrate a certain weakness over here and then I can show to all the people around me that the, the strength of God in a certain way, we're missing what he's talking about because that's not what he's getting at in this text at all. Um, this is something bigger than us, and it is something where the gospel turns our world uh, uh, completely uh, upside down uh, in the way in which we think about it. So one of the things that I get to do in the summer that I don't get to do uh, as much uh, during the academic years, I get to read a lot of books. And uh, uh, a book I've read recently uh, uh, loaned me by a dear friend is a book called, uh, it was on the best uh, New York Times bestsellers list for a while. It may still be there, called When Breath uh, Becomes Air. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book. Uh, I will say, frankly, I wish... Uh, I wish the gospel was a little clearer in it. It's not a Christian book, although there's about a three or four page section in the middle of it uh, that if you have atheist friends, they should read. I think it would be, I think it would really be, it'd be really be helpful. It's the story of Paul Kalanithi. He was a, he's a uh, Indian American uh, who uh, uh, was a uh, neuroscientist and neurosurgeon at Stanford. Uh, went to Yale Medical School, Stanford undergraduate, not very bright, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, who died, I think, at 36 of cancer. Yeah. Um, when he is uh, very honest, uh, one of the things he, he begins the book by telling us that uh, he's also married. He was married to another doctor, uh, and they were both in residency at the same time. And uh, when he got diagnosed with cancer, they were headed for a divorce. And he would say that, you know, in a weird way, you know, this, this changed the dynamic of their relationship as a cancer diagnosis only could. So they had some decisions to make. And one of the decisions that they struggled with was, should they have a child or not? And they decided to have a baby. She was eight months old when he died. Um, But he says this to his daughter. When you come to one of the many moments in life where you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you have been and done and meant to the world, do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's days with a sated, and that means a, a, a satisfaction, A sated joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years. A joy that does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied. In this time, right now, that is an enormous thing.
What kind of power does a baby have? What kind of power does a baby have? They can be demanding. But this baby, simply by laying on her dad's lap because he was too weak to hold her, just being who she was, had a powerful ministry in his life. And, and the wonderful thing about this, in fact, I'm kind of jealous of this little, little girl because she has this powerful ministry and she's not old enough to know that what really matters is what people think of her, how people see her, how people perceive her what her reputation is among her family and friends. She is simply being who God made her to be. And in that, she has a powerful impact in ministry in her father's life that changed him, that changed him forever. It's a profound thing. That is, that is the kind of, the kind of weakness because, because do babies have some sort of strength in and of themselves? No. She, she exercises this powerful ministry simply being who she is, simply being what she is, and it changes her dad in dramatic ways. And so what I want us to do this morning is to kind of unpack this and look at God's economy and the way in, in, in which, uh, in, in the way in which this works because the, the problem with us is that we hear this stuff about weakness and we think that this is something that somehow or other we can manage, but it is unmanageable. Not only is it unmanageable, but it is also, as we will see, universal. It is something that is true of every single one of us. And so as we look at this this morning, I want us to explore a little bit about this interplay in Paul's life between his weaknesses and his suffering and then the very profound power that comes from outside of himself in and through the work of Jesus Christ in him. And I think we'll draw some conclusions from that as we look. So now remember here that Paul is defending himself against accusations against himself his ministry, his authority as an apostle, and against his gospel. So his opponents are powerful, impressive, gifted people. They're very dangerous people because they're powerful and they're gifted. And and they're quick to draw a crowd. They're quick uh, to draw disciples. And so they are pulling people away from any the the true gospel and uh, an understanding of, of who Paul is and the way in which God has worked in him. And so Paul, uh, last week we looked at his, his, his resume was really a list of his sufferings. And he's going to go on with that today. And so, so he begins here by saying, you know what? If I have to go on boasting, I'll go on boasting. And he begins to speak about, um, his religious experience, a bit about being caught up into heaven and, and seeing God and, uh, and being in his presence and, and hearing things and seeing things in paradise that are unbelievable, that are beyond his ability or, or, uh, his authority even to speak about. No one had spiritual experiences like he did, right? So in, in the face of all of this, this overwhelming religious experience, which would certainly qualify him to be an apostle, he says, but you know what? I'm going to set that aside. If you want to boast in that, I could boast in that. But what I'm really going to do is talk about my weaknesses. And because he mentions it here th- this many times in verse five, he says he 
will boast of weaknesses. In verse 9, Jesus says to him, his power is perfected in human weakness. Verse 9, he says, boasting gladly in his weaknesses. And then finally in verse 10, he says he will be content with his weaknesses. Now, what are these weaknesses? What are they? So we hear this word weakness and we may think, you know, well, uh, you know, I have a weakness for things. You know, I have a weakness for gossip and I have a weakness for criticism and I have a weakness for, you know, looking at things that I shouldn't look at or uh, that kind of stuff. That's that's or we have a weakness for something as silly as uh, chocolate chip cookies. Right. Right. That's the way we kind of tend to think about it. Next slide, please, Megan. Um, this this week, uh, we went to dinner with some dear friends. And uh, one of the things that Marty and I have been doing, Marty is a uh, she's an evangelist for the whole 30 approach to eating. Uh, which is if you don't know what that is, you should you should look it up or just talk to her about it. She would love to talk to you about it. She'll tell you all she's an evangelist and I am her disciple. So, uh, so, uh, so we've been doing this, you know, and, and, and the funny thing about diets are, you know, they, they, they become laws, really, you know, laws, they get over your conscience. They do, they get over your conscience. So, so what would normally be something to be totally okay. You look at this, you're like that, that's wicked. So we're out to dinner and, uh, we eat this great dinner, uh, I had a burger, didn't eat the bun, all right, left the bread off. I'm, I'm got my righteousness intact here. And uh, they ask us if we want dessert at the end of the dinner. And like, of course, like a good whole 30 person, I said, no dessert for us. We're not eating that mess. The waitress says, okay. But because she loves us, when she comes back to the table, she puts a platter of warm chocolate chip cookies on the table in front of us. Messengers of Satan. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) And you just look at them laying there on the plate and they have this power over you, right? We tend to think of that as the kind of weaknesses that we're talking about here, right? That we have these kind of little fleshly little indulgences and these weaknesses, but that's that's not the weakness that he's talking about. They're, they're not bad or sinful behaviors or inclinations. They are experiences and situations and circumstances and wounds that are hard to bear and that we can't remove. We can't manage. We can't control. Either because they're beyond our control uh, or because love dictates that we not return evil for evil. Because remember, one of the things that Paul says that one of his weaknesses is insults, right? And, and, and there's no greater way for us to demonstrate that we're not weak, that we're powerful, that when insulted, we will insult better back. You think you can insult me? I can come up with a wittier way to defend myself, right? And so, so it is this, whatever, whatever these weaknesses are, these things that he discusses here, they are bigger and beyond uh, his ability to, man- to manage. And then he mentions this thing, this thorn, a thorn in his flesh. Now, uh, 
as, as long as I've been in seminary and in the ministry, you hear a lot of theories about what the thorn is. You know, you hear from, from some people, you know, the worst, the worst theory I ever heard about this is, is that the thorn is his wife. That's, that's the worst, that's the worst. That's, that's the dumbest and the worst. So forget that one. You know, I don't know who came up with that, but that's, that one, that one's a bad one. Uh, I've heard that epilepsy mentioned as one, uh, and I've even heard uh, blindness, uh, problems with his eyes. Uh, we don't know what it is. And the interesting thing about it is uh, my assumption by the fact that he mentions it, he calls it a thorn in his flesh. It, it's, it, it would seem to me to be something that is uh, physical and something that is debilitating and something that is difficult, something that is... Uh, uh, beyond his ability or medicine's ability to uh, to cure, and some and many of you know what that's like. Uh, you uh, go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning, and the first thing you're reminded of is that pain, right? That that thing that hurts, that that chronic, uh, debilitating thing. And I and frankly, I can't think of anything else that comes the way of human beings on a regular and chronic basis more than pain like that, than to, to drive us into really a, just a slew of depression, right? Now, he calls this thorn a messenger, which really the, the language there is an angel of Satan, but it's used by God. Now, this is an interesting thing for us to think about this because the thorn has its source in, in some way from the devil himself. And so the devil puts this thorn into Paul. Paul even says that the devil uses it to harass him, to trouble him, to, to knock him off course, to, to make life more difficult for him, to, to, to challenge him, right? But what we read here is, is that God takes this thorn and he uses it for glory, Right? And, and he, won't, he uses it for glory because Paul sees in the midst of this that this thorn has God's purpose. And God's purpose for him is, or purpose for this thorn is to keep him from pride, to keep him from being conceited. Satan would want to increase Paul's pride because pride kills. Now, this is one of the things that you, you have to see about this. And this is one of the things that is hard and difficult for us as, as we look at this, uh, as we look at this, this text is that there's something, something profound about this, you know, because, because God sends this suffering into Paul's life, this debilitating, difficult, physical thing that is always there, always a part of his life. I mean, if you have a thorn in your flesh, you can't forget it. You can't get away from it. It is there all the time. And what happens here is, is that he says that, that God uses this to keep him from being conceited. Now, now here's the thing that you have to see about this is that, that, that God loves Paul. And because God loves Paul, because Jesus is for him, because he belongs to him, God uses this, this thorn in him to keep him from being conceited because it would because pride one of the things if you read the bible if you study the gospel this is one of the things that becomes clear to me with age is that there's one thing if there's one thing in this world that god hates because it destroys human beings because it caused the fall in the garden is pride pride kills it destroys 
And so God would rather, he would love Paul so much that he would afflict him with a thorn in the flesh to keep him from pride. Now, we hear that and we think, well, that's tough. That's tough. I, I don't know what I think about that. And we're, you know, we're 21st century people. We are about efficiency. And we might even be tempted to say, you know what? That is really lame, God, because Jesus, frankly, frankly, Paul would be more efficient. He would be more effective. He could preach more. He could travel more. He could reach more people if you took that thorn away from him. It's not efficient. It's not effective. But what, what you have to see about that is, is that Jesus loves Paul. He's for him. And, 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 and it is more important for, for, for Paul in Jesus's view and his, in his economy and the way in which he deals with him for Paul to be protected from pride than it is for Paul to be even more effective in ministry. He loves him so much. He is so dear to him that he will put him in a situation that would keep him away from pride, that would keep him seeking in the midst of his weakness, the goodness of God. This is how we know that, that Jesus loves Paul is that he won't allow him to become conceited. He won't allow him to become prideful. He won't allow him to become independent from God, that he will place him in a situation where his love is so passionate for him that Paul must, must rest and must seek uh, the power of Christ in him. You see, one of the things you have to see about this is Paul's value is not in what he brings to the kingdom. Paul's value is not that he's a preacher or an apostle. His value is that Jesus loves him and that Jesus is for him. Next slide. So, so Paul asks three times uh, for the thorn uh, to be removed. Now, uh, let me just say a, a couple of things about this. I think the, the reason why he, Paul does it three times and then he stops uh, that, that should remind us of Jesus's prayer in the garden where he is wrestling with his father and he says, if, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He does it three times, right? Uh, uh, and the fact is what Paul does here is by doing it three times should remind us and, and should uh, help us see that Paul's experience of suffering, his experience of the thorn, uh, gives him a fellowship with Christ that he wouldn't have otherwise, a, a, a union with him, an experience with him, a, 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 a fellowship with him that he would not have otherwise, that just as Jesus prayed three times for the cup to pass for him, Paul does the same thing. Now, let me just say something here pastorally about this, because we're dangerous. Uh, uh, we're dangerous when we come to these kinds of things in the Bible because there's, he prayed three times and then he stopped. So there must be a formula. There must be some kind of thing here. So I am, I am infertile and I'm praying for a baby. Should I only pray three times and then stop? Or my marriage is terrible. Should I only pray for it three times and then stop? or I don't have any friends, or I'm in perpetual singleness, or, or whatever. You only pray three times and you stop. I can't tell you how many times to pray. But I do know this, that in the midst of this struggle with weakness, what does Paul do? He prays. And that's a good thing. And, and what, I think, uh, what, I, what, I, what I think I would say to you is, is that, that, in, that by praying, what Paul is giving evidence to is the fact that he's resting ultimately in what God has for him and how Jesus will order the affairs of his life and that Jesus Christ himself struggled. He understands what the struggle is like and Jesus 
did not allow that struggle and that difficulty to keep him from going to the fullest place of weakness and dying for Paul. So keep praying. Keep praying. And, 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 and because one thing that I know as you keep praying for these unfulfilled desires and these difficulties is, is that God will either grant us that desire or he'll do something maybe even greater. He might change us. He might renew us. He might do something uh, even more profound for us. So one of the things that we have to be on and, and, and careful about uh, when we look at this text uh, is that we might think, well, you know, we, we, should, we should kind of embrace weakness in a way that we actually go out and seek it or that we, we put ourselves in a situation where we might demonstrate that. But what you have to see about this is that none of this is conditional in the sense that we make ourselves weak so that God's power might be manifest, right? We don't, we don't put ourselves in a situation where, you know, we look weak or we are weak so that God's power can be manifest. That's, that's not it at all because, next slide, please, Megan. It's, it's something different. Paul did not seek these things. They were given to him. They're gifts. The things that made him weak, they're gifts. Thank you, may I have another, right? They're gifts. And so, so what you have to see here is human weakness is not a condition to be fulfilled. It is a reality that is already present into which Christ himself has entered and participated to the utmost extent in the cross. Uh, in Christ and in the gospel, therefore, weakness performs a hermeneutical function. Hermeneutical simply means a, a, a way whereby we can, uh, we're exposed and the truth uh, uh, is, is revealed. It exposes the truth about us as human beings. We are weak. I don't care how you present yourself. I don't care how you think about yourself. I don't care in any way. I don't, I don't, it, it doesn't matter. By virtue of the fact that you're a human being, you're weak. And, and the reason why I know that is not, is not just because of, of any, anything particular about the group that's here this morning. It's because we are subject to suffering and death because of the remaining power of sin. The Bible says all people are like grass. Your grass. And if we don't get some rain here soon, what's, the, what's your grass going to be like? Dried up, brown, crunchy, going away. Looks good in May, looks terrible in July. Doesn't last. It's weak. So, so, the, so the fact of the matter is, those, those are the things that are true of us. So, so what Paul's getting at here is, is not simply a, that he's actually putting himself into some situation where he can get weaker. You can't get any weaker than the fact that you are subject right now to sickness and death. 
among all the other uh, uh, bad things that, that could happen to human beings. And so, so the issue for us then is, is not trying to demonstrate weakness or even try to manage weakness, but to recognize our weakness and to see in the midst of that what God's purpose and God's answer for our weakness is. Next slide, please, Megan. So, so what we, we protest against this and we, we, we war against it until we have to accept it just just like Jesus did. We're already weak. The issue comes in, how do we respond to that weakness? So, so, so what am I supposed to do with it? What's the purpose of such weaknesses? Is there a a goal or an aim for why the weaknesses come? Why insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, troubles? Why can't I find a job? Right? Why am I trapped in this awful marriage? Why does my dad have cancer? Why can't I have children? Why do I have no friends? Why is nothing working in my life? Right? So as we look at those things and as we, as we unpack those things, what, what we have to see is, is that Jesus is already present in our lives. Jesus is already present in weakness and that he has manifested that self in his taking on our broken and weak and grass-like flesh, bearing in his body our death on the cross and rising again. But one of the things that you have to see about that is even in glory today, this moment right now, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father in glory, experiencing the joy that is that, and still in that place at this time bears in his body the marks of his weakness, the nails prints in his hands and his feet and the spear mark in his side. Those will never go away. We we worship the crucified and risen Christ. And so there's no part of the gospel, no part of the work of Christ that that suddenly relieves us of weakness, that suddenly takes that away until we get to glory. The fact is that that by, by the very nature, by the very reality that we're human beings, we are by nature weak. And so the, the point is we can't, it's not something that we can manage or something that we can maintain, but it is something that Jesus identifies with, enters into, and changes and demonstrates in and through us his power and our weakness. So grasping after simple relief, which is what most of us would settle for, it's what I would settle for, or our own power will end in spiritual death. But resting in the power of Christ to see us through will manifest a power not our own. It's like that baby. It just simply is doing, being what God created her to do and to be. The power of God gets manifested in that way, not in some sort of dramatic way, not in in some sort of profound way where I go about correcting and challenging and leveraging my gifts and my influence, but simply seeing that in my weakness, Jesus Christ loves me He comes to me, he identifies with me, he is with me. And those are the ways, that is the rest that I find where he becomes powerful in me. I I know this morning that there are uh, uh, people in here um, who are uh, feel pain in their bodies right now. 
Uh, I know there are people in here today who are wondering, because of a diagnosis, if they're under a death sentence. And I know there are people today here who have all sorts of anxiety about uh, their friends, their family, uh, their own futures, their own unfulfilled desires. The truth is, the thing for us to lay hold of today is that in that place, in that crucible of wrestling with God, of crying out to him, we can rest in the fact that Jesus identifies with us, that he knows us, that he is with us, that he is for us, and that he is present in that, that we're not alone, and that he will give us what we need. And, and, and frankly, maybe all he will give you for all that you need is the ability just to take another breath, just to take another step. But in that, his power overwhelms and overcomes our weakness. Let's pray. Lord, we, we confess that uh, we would just settle for um, a little relief, a little place away from uh, the difficulties and the challenges. Lord, I, I pray too for those of us who confuse uh, power and weakness, uh, who think that uh, this power that Paul speaks of here is simply a manifestation of our ability to manage our lives uh, in difficult circumstances. Lord, I pray that um, you would uh, help us uh, to trust in the midst of that. For those uh, of us today who uh, a message of weakness uh, is frankly offensive, um, who would prefer to maintain a hard and powerful stance in the world, I pray for grace uh, to, uh, well, to cause repentance of that pride. Lord, today I pray for those who struggle the most, that in the midst of their struggle, you would remind them that you love them. And Lord, I pray too today that you would make us fearful of pride, of conceit that would ruin us. And as you do that, Lord, I pray that you would show us uh, the joy uh, and really the spiritual safety that weakness brings us and the space that it allows for your power to be manifest in our lives. Lord, we're a big mess. You know that. It does not repel you. In fact, it attracts you. And so come near to us, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As uh, the guy